0: Uh, you can be seated uh, glad to to see you guys here today. Um, uh, this is going to be uh, the last uh, sermon uh, kind of talking about uh, the traditional kind of nuclear family and how uh, it 's to operate uh, with a with a, a laser focused on the idea of grace uh, next sunday we 're still going to be in this series, but you probably uh, noticed uh, Scott mentioning at, at the beginning that. One of our kind of core vision principles is that we want to be a growing family that's journeying together to be more like Jesus. And so family language is kind of embedded uh, in what we do. And so just like the nuclear family, um, we want our church to be a grace-centered family as well. And so I know a lot of people over the years uh, in in churches all over the world have been hurt by the church um, and uh, disillusioned by the church. And I understand that, um, but I, kind of spoiler alert, there are no perfect churches. And so perfection's probably not in the, in the cards because uh, churches are full of people who are imperfect. So there are no perfect churches, but we can have a grace-centered church and love one another and thrive. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, next Sunday. Uh, I appreciate a lot of you. Um, I appreciate your patience with this series. I know that every time we do a family series, a certain percentage of our people are not in the kind of um, deep throes of parenting. Your, your kids are either out of the house or you haven't started a family yet or whatever the case may be. I appreciate your grace uh, on this series every couple years. Uh, I think I said this toward the beginning, I want you to hear my heart on it. I think it's so important that we do this, um, that, that we talk about nuclear family. Because um, the Lord knows that this culture is telling families um, what normal looks like and what godly looks like and what good looks like. And we just need a perspective. Uh, we need to speak into culture about what God says about family. And so I appreciate, I appreciate uh, your grace on that as well for those of you that are having to take some extra turns to apply some of this. And hopefully you've been able to do that. So, all right, let's pray and then we'll get into it. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And um, as uh, families uh, here at Northwest, we just want to be an example to our neighbors and an example to the people around us of what a grace-centered family could even look like. Um, I think a lot of people don't even have a perspective on what that could be. And so we want to, our families here, we want to be an example of um, that we're, we're not a perfect family. We're far from it, but we are, we're grace-centered, and our family's different because of it. We thank you for Jesus and for his grace. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There's a funny kind of story uh, told about a guy that near the end of his life, he'd worked really hard, he'd saved all his money, but he was extremely stingy. Uh, Not generous at all, not willing to share, just a very stingy guy. And just before he died, he called in his last living relative, his daughter, and he said, listen, when I die... I want you to take all the money that I've accumulated. I want you to put it in the casket with me. I want to take it with me to the afterlife. And he said, I want you to promise me that you'll do that. And the daughter said, Dad, I promise you I will do that. And when he died, uh, he was laid out in his casket and his family, his daughter was there and some of his friends were there. And when they finished the ceremony, the daughter just stopped. Before you close the casket, I need to put something in there. And she kind of put this black box in there and, and placed it in there. And when she got back, her friend was like, you, you surely are, are not burying your dad with, with all of his money. That you know, He had quite a bit. You surely are not doing that. And she said, listen, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe I'm, I'm called to keep my promises to my dad. And she said, So you put the money in there. And she said, well, what I did was I wrote a check. And if he... <laughs> If he can cash it, he can keep it. So, right? And uh, if you're a parent, that maybe sounds slightly familiar to you because our children uh, are very good at finding loopholes, right, Uh, in in almost anything. And kids are just kind of ingenious at that. And we've been in this series, like I said earlier, called The Grace-Centered Family. And we've mainly been talking about the roles of husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and today we're going to kind of take a turn and we're going to talk about uh, kids and parents relationship uh, to their kids and I think that this is important because I think sometimes kids minor kids in particular might wonder all right we want to be a grace centered family what am I able to bring to the equation I know what dad's called to bring I know what mom's called to bring but what can I as a, as a minor kid living at home uh, what, what can I bring ...to the family, and so Paul tells us, right? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Children, obey your parents. That's what you can bring, (laughs) right? We're going to dive into a little more. (laughs) Children, obey your parents. All right, you can underline this if you underline your Bible. In the Lord, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise... ...so that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children... Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction in the Lord. That's Ephesians 6, all right? Obey your parents in the Lord, all right? So this is the part of the message that's going to be really applicable for all of us. Because I want us to think for a minute about that phrase. Because Paul uses this a lot in Ephesians 5 and 6 when talking about the the family. We want to talk about our relationship with the Lord and what does obedience mean. To him look like in that context right and here's what I want you to see if you kind of hold on to one thing what I want you to see that is that obedience uh, is not the currency with God that buys relationship with him it's very important that we understand this obedience is not the currency that we use to get in good with God obedience is the tool that he has given us to best function in our relationship with him Right. And it's extremely important in all teachings of Christianity that every Christian, minor or not, every Christian understand that. That obedience, when it comes to God, obedience is not the currency. It's not the thing that we pay so that we can know God, worship God, and be in a relationship with God. Instead, it is a tool that God gives to people who are already in a relationship with him because of his grace... They're already in a relationship with him. And he says, this is the best way for you to live. This is the best way for you to operate. This is the best way uh, for you to move forward. And I want to show you this in three places. Not that I think you're questioning that, but I want to show it to you in three places. And the first is in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. So if you think about the Ten Commandments, all right, when God first gave that to Israel in the Old Testament, you can think about those Ten Commandments as like chapter headings. And when you read the rest of the law, uh, Leviticus, you know, Numbers, you know, all all the rest of the law, all that stuff. Almost all of the commands can fit under one of those ten chapter headings. And Jesus will actually go on later to say in the New Testament that really, if you want to condense it down even more, all of them can fit under the banner headings of two chapters. They're either a command about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or they're a commandment about love your neighbor as your, yourself. Right? Those are the two kind of big chapter headings. But since the Ten Commandments is kind of the essence of the law and the thing that we're called to obey, I want to show it to you just real quick. All right? I've kind of condensed it down just a little bit, but you can read the whole thing in Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All right, so remember, he says this is the first command that comes along with a promise. You're going to live long in the land. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to to our neighbor. So when we read that text, oftentimes our human nature is to say, all right, so God's laid this out. This is the currency for how I have a right relationship with God. I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I honor my father and mother, I remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It is the currency that if I obey these laws, God will love me, God will accept me, and God will allow me to know him. But that's actually not what's happening in this text. If you actually back up to the very beginning of the text in verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. And God spoke all these words. This is the beginning of Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So look at what God says. He says, I've already established a relationship with you. I saved you. I redeemed you. I brought you out of Egypt so that you could be my people and I could be your God. The Ten Commandments are not the currency. They're already in a relationship with God because of his great grace. So the Ten Commandments are not the currency. The Ten Commandments are a gift to his people. They are not the way into relationship. They are the gift because of relationship. God says, man, because I love you, because I care about you, when you inhabit this new land, don't murder one another. Good rule, right? Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Have, worship me and me alone. And God said, I am giving this to you because you're my people. I am giving this to you as a gift. All right. Example number two, the ministry of Jesus. We actually spent some time in this text during the pandemic. It's John 14, right before Jesus goes uh, to the cross and is resurrected and ascends into heaven. Here's what he says in John 14. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. flows from a relationship of love. As a matter of fact, when you study the parenting books on discipline, and I've read a whole bunch of them, one of the things that I discovered in in reading these books is that discipline of your children will never work until your child knows for certain that you love them unconditionally. Because things like obedience and consequences for wrongdoing and punitive measures, the only chance they have of working Is when your child knows they are unconditionally loved because obedience the only real chance it has obedience flows from a relationship of love so i know you're gonna have a hard time believing this but i was a bit of a difficult child right and i remember on one occasion my mom and i had gotten into it right we were we were having an argument And she was trying to discipline me and she was trying to hold me accountable. On one occasion, I ran away from her, right? I ran out the house and away from her. And we lived in the country. It wasn't like a huge deal, but you're not supposed to do that. And so the last thing I heard her yell as I ran out of the house was, I'm telling your father when he gets home. My mom said that a lot. And to be totally honest with you, by the time my dad got home, a lot of times uh, she did not do that. On this occasion, she did. All right, and uh, I remember my dad. Um, my dad was a great dad, but he did—he ha- had a bit of a temper. Um, and uh, we had a mostly holy fear of my dad, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. I, I'm like, you know, I joke around with my wife sometimes. Like when my dad was taking a nap, it was all right. Kids out of the house, you know. Get, you know, your father's taking a nap. We want total, total quiet. I'll be taking a nap at my house, and all of a sudden, like someone's pounding on. My, I need orange juice, right? But my dad would have murdered me, right? Have I done something wrong? Yeah. But anyway, that's therapy. All right, so. Um, and so he, he got this report when he got home. And what I'll always remember about it is on this particular occasion, he didn't lose his temper. Uh, he wasn't angry, but he did come and talk to me. And like I said, he wasn't angry. He was composed. He was measured. It was terrifying, <laughs> right? And he just kind of sat me down. He said, listen. I can't have you treating your mom this way. That This is not going to work. I can't have you doing this. And then he levied the consequences. But it was so effective because it was just done in this very kind of calm. I'm like, is is this what people do right before they murder someone? Like, is he he going to murder me right now? He was calm and measured. He's like, we can't have this. And I'm like, no, no, I I agree we can't have this. Yell, please yell, right? And, And he taught a really valuable lesson. I think that sometimes what happens, at least in my family, is that we get really mad at the disobedience and we get angry and we try to leverage it in a fearful way. And what happens sometimes is we get the obedience and the compliance because our children are afraid. But the minute the fear wears off, so does the obedience, right? Um, so, So does the obedience. And I think discipline is so important. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Discipline is so important. It's important to God. But we always, in the context of discipline, we always want our kids to understand that we love them and we care about them and we're doing what's best for them. This hurts me way more than it hurts you. Well, why don't we switch places then, right? Um, so, Sounds like you really need to go through something, right? So, um, but this is how the writer of Hebrews says it in, relationship, in our relationship to God. He said, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Look at this. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Right? Really good verse, right? That God disciplines us in the context of loving relationship. Now, your kids are going to have a narrative about your discipline, you know, that they didn't like it. They're not, I mean, I'd be very, very disturbed if my kids were like, oh, thank you so much for that discipline. I, I, I'm like, I'm doing this wrong, Right? Kind of tears, crying, right? That sort of thing. But but I think you can, with a couple a couple simple steps, um, you can communicate, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, that I'm doing this because I love you. And I'm doing this because we are in a relationship. I'm not going to, like I said a couple weeks ago, I'm not going to discipline your kid. You know, if your kid's doing something they shouldn't do, I, I'm not disciplining your kid. I'm disciplining mine. And you're disciplining yours. And, and it happens in the context of loving Relationships. So like I said, next week we're going to study the Corinthian church um, and we're going to study where this church went wrong and what, what happened. But the text I want to show you today has to do with a sexual sin that was happening in the Corinthian church and how it wasn't just not being addressed, it was actually being celebrated. And here's what Paul says, and we can kind of learn something else um, about this issue of relationship uh, and discipline and parenting. All right, here's what Paul says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Look at what he says. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, Paul says, kind of you, in that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, slander, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. He said, man, this needs to be talked about. And this needs to be, so someone needs to be held accountable when they're just kind of engaging this kind of unrepentant, rebellious sin. And then he, here's the verse I want you to see, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Aren't you not to judge those inside? Don't you feel like in the church we often get this the opposite? That that oftentimes in the church we're like, man, them out there, right? They're terrible. They're sinning. They're engaged in all of this stuff. And then within the church, we're like, well, I know them and they're nice and they're a faithful servant. And yes, they're doing this thing. But, you know, know, we kind of get this wrong because the basis of judgment and the basis of discipline is a loving relationship. And listen, it still doesn't always go well. It still sometimes goes sideways, but here's what I know about discipline and relationship a loving relationship is the only chance we have. If there is no relationship screaming and yelling about what a sinner you are, there is no chance that is going to be heard or received. Or anything of that nature. It needs to happen in the context of loving relationship. And I've always found this a really interesting philosophy of Paul. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? If what I've been preaching so far is true, and I work kind of hard to make sure it is, but if it's true, our obedience flows from our loving relationship with Jesus. So if outside of here, if that doesn't exist in someone's life, really, what do we expect? obedience to God's commands comes out of and through a relationship, a loving relationship with Jesus. It is a response to his grace. It's not the currency of grace. It's not like, man, I want, I want Jesus' grace. I need to really make sure I, be, I, be, I behave and I need to make sure I do all of the right things. No, you are saved by grace. You respond to that grace with obedience. So here's what I would say to you. Because I observe this happening a lot in Christian culture. Be very careful about expecting this world to push your faith. Be very careful about expecting to turn on Netflix or NBC or Disney Plus or whatever you watch. Be very careful about expecting them to advocate for your faith. And here's what I want you to hear. It's an unreasonable expectation. The church exists to do that. And it works best because it's a people who love him, and their obedience flows from their loving relationship of him. Being moral is not the currency to be accepted by God. Being moral is the result of a person who has received grace, is in a relationship with Jesus, and has decided to follow him. So, Paul has addressed husbands and wives and marriages and family and kids, all right? Now he's coming after you, right? Minors, right? He's gonna address you. Um, So this is gonna be cut from the same cloth of the last couple messages that we've talked about where we've talked about uh, sacrificial love and submission and all of that stuff. So let me just kind of wordsmith here just for a minute, because I want you to see all of these attributes that flow from grace, they're all cut from the same cloth. They're all a little bit different, but they're all a little bit the same. So submission is the word that we would use for this mutual sacrifice that comes. Submission is a word that we would attribute to adults. That meant it is the voluntary and joyful laying down of one's desire for the good of the family. Obedience is the attribute that we would use to describe minor children that are still at home. It is the laying down of your desire for the desire of your parents, all right? They're cut from the same cloth, but a little bit different. Honor is the attribute that we would use, the word we would use, to describe the relationship between adult children and their parents. All of these things, honor, obedience, submission, sacrificial love, they are all cut from the same cloth to describe a different relationship. So you would never say to an adult, to their children, have you ever considered obeying your kids more? No. No, I have not ever thought about that. Right? I, 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 you know, obedience is a word that is used to describe a minor's relationship to their parents. Have you ever thought about submitting to your wife more? Yes, I have. Have you, have you ever thought about honoring your parents more? Yes, I have. Have you ever thought about obeying your children more? Nope. And some of you know my kids, and it makes total sense that I would not have considered that, right? So yeah, The family's going to get derailed, right? So let me talk to, to minor children just for a few minutes, because Paul does. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you understand that your obedience at home, and this is recorded for those of you who don't have, don't have your kids with you, right? Your obedience at home is a response to grace. And my prayer for all of the families in Macon County and for all of the families that I know, my prayer is that you can start to see God's grace in your nuclear parents. Now, surely your parents are not perfect. Surely they are sinful. But my prayer is that families will get into a position in this community where their kids can start to see them as God's gift. That you know they love you and your obedience becomes a response of grace to your parents. That is the ideal, 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 ideal situation is that families would be so healthy that minor children would look and say, man, my parents aren't perfect. My parents sometimes lose their temper. My parents sometimes do that. My parents are not perfect, but they are God's grace to me. And so my obedience flows from that grace. Your obedience is a response to the grace that is family, that is the ideal situation. And in this this case, what can happen is obedience can be a gift joyfully given in response to grace. Sometimes things still go sideways in families like this. It's true. You and I both know that's not always the case. That there are more and more people in this culture that have a complicated relationship with their parents. They don't see them as God's grace. Some of them are not convinced that they're even loved. And this is hard. And I'm sorry you're in that situation. But here's what I want you to see. Obedience is still a gift of grace that you can bring to your family. Assuming you're not being asked to do something that violates the highest authority there is, God, or the law. Assuming you're not being asked to violate a higher authority where your parents are really mangled and they're asking to do something illegal. Assuming we're not talking about abuse and neglect, which absolutely needs to be reported. Assuming we're talking about the normal tensions between parents and kids where a a kid is kind of angry with their parents and going, I am not sure you're God's gift to me, right? Assuming we're kind of talking about the normal kind of ins and outs of that, what can happen is, is that obedience becomes not a response to grace. What can happen in families like this is obedience becomes the grace itself. That my family is mangled or broken or we don't get along right now. That this is not going to be a grace response. This is going to be a grace in and of itself. It's going to be a gift that I can bring to my family. And I think that kids sometimes, they feel powerless. That man, what can I do to introduce grace into our family? To help it run more effectively the way that God intends. And a lot is out of your power. Your parents' actions, they're out of your power. Your parents' relationship, it is out of your power. Your siblings' relationship to your parents, out of your power. Your obedience, that's in your power. And even when you're like, man, I don't, I don't see this thing about responding to a grace. I don't see my family as a grace, you might say. Yeah, I understand that. There's a lot of broken families in our community. You get two chances at family, the one you're born into and the one you create. And so hopefully down the road, you can create a family that is really healthy and vibrant and good. We get two opportunities at it in God's grace. And you might not feel like you can respond. It doesn't feel like responding in grace. That's when obedience becomes the grace in and of itself. Grace is a thing that is freely given, even in difficult and broken situations. So there are three uh, pro-obedience arguments that Paul makes on the screen for you. We'll handle these one at a time. Um, It's right. So in a family, you know and I know that there are times in families where an argument goes sideways. Tensions rise, voices rise, and all of a sudden you find yourself saying or doing something that you regret, all right? I told you this story before. We've had a couple blow-ups, um, you know, in, in our family and uh, a f- kind of big family arguments. And there's been kind of multiple times uh, where, you know, I've gone upstairs and talked to my son, Stan, and it's like, man, I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. And he's like, thanks, Dad. That means a lot. Alright. Is there anything you wish to say? <laughs> well, I'm here. I can't think of anything. Right, right? But but this is this happens in families where things just go sideways. And God has given us this incredible tool when you've sinned against someone or when you've hurt someone. And this is an all-play, this isn't just for family. God's given us this incredible tool. You know what it's called? Repentance. And I believe moms and dads and older people and families, I, I know that they should be modeling repentance for their children. That It is not wrong to tell your kids that you are sorry for what you said or what you did. You are modeling a gospel trait when you do this. So God has given us this incredible tool when we've screwed up to say, man, I repent and I'm sorry. And on the other end of it, he's given us another incredible tool called grace. When someone comes to us and says, man, I screwed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. The gospel response is you are forgiven. And here's Paul's point about this being right. Obedience will never require that of you. That's what makes it right. Obedience never causes us to have that feeling that I described. That I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. It never leads us down the wrong path Paul says it's righteous, it's honoring, all right? This was a high honor culture Paul was writing into uh, where there was a lot of conversation about um, how you honor the older members of the family. Now, we do not live in a high honor culture. We live in a youth culture that tends to honor, all Right? if you watch TV at all, you already know this. We live in a culture that tends to honor youth over age. And you and I probably share feelings about whether or not that's a good thing. All that being said, honor is a good thing that you can bring into a family setting. And one of the best ways that you can honor your parents is by obeying them. Last thing Paul says, it's better for you. Obedience is a way under-talked-about virtue in terms of living a successful life. You want to have a robust spiritual life with Jesus? Learn to obey his teachings. You want a work life that thrives? Learn to obey your boss. You want a family that is at peace? Learn to obey your parents. Our culture talks a lot about hard work and integrity and even luck when it comes to a successful life. But obedience, submission, and self-sacrifice, they are right up there, I'm telling you right now. So, that's what he says to minor kids. We're done. You can pause the video. All right, parents. We're not off the hook on this either. Paul goes on to say about the role of parents... The role is to not exasperate your children. Some translations will say, do not provoke your children to wrath. And if you're kind of wondering what that means, Paul actually contrasts the first part of that statement with a second part of that statement. And he says, all right, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here's what Paul is saying. There's a way to encourage obedience in your children that leads to anger and exasperation. I think I do this at home when I get sideways with my anger and frustration. And I get sarcastic and upset and it leads to a bigger blow up than it needed uh, to be. Um, you know, Sam, just, just last night, Sam was like, do I have to go to school next week? Right before bed, do I have to go to school? You know, just 12 hours ago or whatever. I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Why?" It's school week. I, I mean, I don't—I I didn't know what he was getting at, right? It, it, it's a school week, and he says, "Well, I don't want to go." He, it's the end of the year, even uh, for homeschool families. He's like, I don't want to go. And what I w- should have said was, "I'm sorry, you don't want to go. We're gonna." And I was like, "Oh, you don't want to go? Then you don't have to." And he was like, you're being sarcastic. I was like, good job picking it up. Yeah, you're, you're, going, you're going to school, right? You're going to school. But it made, it made the situation worse by bringing sarcasm into it. So there's a way to do it that leads to exasperation. And there's a way to encourage obedience that reminds your kids of this bigger thing that you're doing, which is pointing them to Jesus. And I think we do this best when we tie our desire for obedience to our faith. That this is why this issue is so important to me, Sam or Lila. This is why I need you to comply. It's not just me that wants this for you. Jesus wants this for you. And when we can detach from the frustration and it's hard to do, when we can detach from it, explain ourselves, and tie it to our faith, it is always a more positive thing. When we can point them to grace that, man, I want this for you because I love you. Jesus wants this for you because he loves you. I'm not just trying to be a jerk or to have my finger down on you or control you, right? We, we had uh, that, that conversation. I'm going over and I need to stop, but none of these stories are in my notes. So, but we, he kind of got mad about a discipline because we were disciplined and he was trying to control his sister, Lila. And we're like, you really need to stop trying to control your sister. And he said, well, you and mommy try to control me. Why is that right? And I said, is that what you think is happening in our house? <laughs> that I'm controlling you? Because it doesn't feel that way to me. I can tell you that, <laughs> right? right? You feel like we're really great at controlling, you know. And we were able to, I just started studying for this text, and we were able to lean into this text and say, you know, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I want you to live in grace, man. I don't want you to feel like you have to control people. That in grace you can let them live, and let them be, and let them thrive. And so you tie it to the gospel, you tie it to grace, you tie it to Jesus. Now, as you can tell from the stories that I've told, God has blessed Cheryl and I with two independent, strong-willed kids. And before we had kids, I believed I was an expert on kids. Now I know I'm not. But through my kids, I've been really challenged on this because they are strong-minded. They're strong-willed. And so what I've been challenged on is before I had kids, I thought everything was the issue to die on. But now that I have kids, I know you have to ask yourself, how important is this issue that we're talking about, that we're fighting about? How critical is this thing? Are we just going to fight all day, every day, over everything? Or are there some things that we can let go and let grace rule the day so that we can focus on the really important things that we have in mind for you, which is pointing them to Jesus. And it's tough to figure out, but it's worth it. And this is really the most important question a grace-centered family can ask. Because of Jesus, here's the most important question. As we kind of wrap up the nuclear family side of it, we'll talk about the church next week, but... As a grace-centered family, here's the most important question. What can I bring to the grace table? Can I bring sacrificial love? Can I bring mutual submission? Can I bring obedience? Can I bring service? What is it I can bring out of a, out of a, a, a reflection on what Christ has done for me? What is the thing I can bring to the grace table for my family? And parents, we want to lead with grace and love, even in, and especially in discipline. At the end of the day, are kids happy about the discipline? They absolutely are not happy about the discipline. But if we can articulate that we love them, it goes a long way. And kids, we wanna respond with grace through obedience. And when you kind of view your family Um, when you view your kind of nuclear family that you're kind of doing life with right now, when you view them through, man, they are God's gift to me, I think obedience just kind of flows from that. But even if that's not the exact situation, I think it can still be a grace response. I think it becomes a grace in and of itself that, man, I don't think that my family necessarily deserves this or they haven't really expressed grace in a healthy way, but this is a thing I can bring, assuming all the caveats I said earlier, this is a thing I can bring to help make my family healthy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you uh, for grace. And obedience is not a currency that we use to get right with you. Obedience isn't that. Obedience is a response to your grace. Because you made us right through your son, Jesus. And so I want to pray right now for our families, uh, people that are in the kind of trenches right now of parenting. I want to pray that you would give us a wisdom and a grace uh, to know how to discipline, to know what to discipline, um, and, and that you would right now remind us of your grace and that your power is made perfect in our weakness. I want to pray for our families. I want to pray for our kids that are in a tough season of life the last couple of years with COVID, that are trying to figure out life and family and all of that, that you would show them the ways that they can bring grace to their families. Sometimes as minor kids, we feel powerless in our family to bring about any change at all. Um, but you've shown us a, not an insignificant thing that we can do through obedience to strengthen and help our family. Um, and as we reflect on communion right now, I just want to pray that we would be overwhelmed by your grace and that that grace would cause us to ask really important questions about what we can bring to our relationships and what we can bring to our family. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to remember and celebrate the Lord's Supper right now and the servers are going to pass it and you can just kind of hold on to that for a few minutes um, and reflect on his grace. A lot flows from understanding his grace, reflect on his grace, and then I'll come back up here in a few minutes and we'll receive it all together. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My prayer for us is that we wouldn't just receive it for ourselves, but that we would show it to others. And that every relationship that we have would be affected, maybe most especially our families. So I'll be praying for you as we go into the week ahead. Uh, Next Sunday we'll, we'll talk about this relationship that we have in this room and how being a grace-centered family can change everything. Go ahead and stand, and uh, we're going to continue to sing together.